In the early days of the internet, radical libertarians were scattered, lonely, and faceless. Without direction, they resigned to scour the web, sifting through content providers in a wasteland plagued by YouTube demonetization, Facebook jail, and covert internet censorship. But then, in 2017, the Libertarian Union was formed. Finally, the average Joe Libertarian could find a thriving community of independent podcasters and content providers, all in one convenient location. At Libertarian Union, we'll always have the latest news, interviews, discussions, and even movie reviews. With hundreds of episodes and more added all the time, you'll always find something fresh at libertarianunion.com. All right, all right, all right. Let's get fired up here. Maximum freedom. Read. Stay on target. Maximum freedom. Stay on target. Maximum freedom. Read Rothbard. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Actual Anarchy Podcast, the podcast where we talk about movies from a Rothbardian and narco capitalist perspective. Tonight is episode 73, and we are going to talk about a Vin Diesel with hair movie called Find Me Guilty. And this is a recommendation, I think, was it one of yours, Robert, or was it uh, the Don't Waste Your Hate Boys? No, this is me. I, this, I'm, I'm responsible for this one. All right, very good. Well, we have been talking about it with the Don't Waste Your Hate guys, and so I think we're going to have them on uh, Tuesday night for a YouTube live stream that we affectionately call Boys Night Out. So that'll be 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern this upcoming Tuesday. So check it out. Uh, do chime in in the comments area. We'll try to respond in the comments, and uh, we'll have a good time. We'll have those boys on for an hour or two talking about this movie and this very episode that we're about to do uh, that you can find the show notes and more at actualanarchy.com slash 73. So that's uh, that's the exciting news coming up for that. Um, doing a dual episode type format these days where we have the actual anarchy version and then we have the last nighters version. The main film analysis is the same. We have a little bit of extra content at the beginning and the end that is the actual anarchy stuff. And that is uh, now in the 73rd episode and the last nighters, which we launched at the beginning of the year with episode one being our get out episode, which was 58 of the actual anarchy podcast. We've kind of done this tree branch where we have this uh, last nighters that is a normie friendly version. So we don't explicitly call it or refer to anarchy in the name of the show, the name of the website, uh, any of the descriptions of content, things like that, in the hopes that there is a bit more of an appeal to it, a little bit uh, less off-putting if people have the wrong idea of what anarchy is. They're not going to just immediately turn off to um, to the content on the name alone. So that's kind of the plan with Last Sanders, and that's why we have the split in the names and also in the numbering format. So this is episode 73 and 16. Very confusing. It's the new math. It's fucking um, common core math. Right, Robert? I don't know. Probably, yeah. So what else can I tell you guys? Um, We're not doing video lately, but we will do it for the Libertarian Union talk show, State of the Libertarian Union talk show, and also for the Boys Night Out. So you can see my long, flowing, glowing locks. I'm growing my hair out. It's um, not pretty right now. It's sort of in that in-between phase where it looks all puffy and gross. Uh, So hopefully I I can power through that and not really... 
you know. What's that? Hmm? I, I was telling the, the audience of our Patreon supporting class that I'm growing yeah. my hair out, and I'm trying to get through the really difficult stage of where it just looks awful. You're growing it out for what purpose? I mean, are you turning into, like, Mr. Hippie Guy or what? what what's the, your ideal length? I don't even know. It's just one of those things that I haven't really ever had an opportunity to do in the last 20 years, and I'm not getting any younger, so it's it's now or never. <laughs> Here's your chance. I'm going for it, guys. You're some kind of hero, Daniel. That's do it, right. man. I need a hero. Yeah, buddy. Do it. So uh, anyway, you I stopped, you, stopped, you stopped going down to town, your monthly meetings? Oh, yeah, yeah. I haven't had to go down for uh, a meeting in a while, though. There might be a meeting in Minneapolis at the end of next month, and we're trying to figure out if I'm going to go and if I do, if the family's going to come with me or not. Oh, yeah. What's up? Yeah. There was a meeting there last month, and I skipped out on it um, because who wants to go to Minneapolis in March? Uh, I think they still have snow on the ground right not now. Even, not even people who live in Minneapolis want to go there in March. Right. Uh, but we do have some extended family on my wife's side over there, like older folks who probably won't be around for a whole lot longer, and they have never met our kids, but they send them cards all the time, and we okay. you know, send pictures and whatnot. So it's like, okay, well, if we want to have an opportunity to meet these people before it's too late, uh, we better do it relatively soon. And March is not a good time to go, but if there's a thing at the end of May, you know, that's probably like the best time to go to a place like that, I would think. Because I know that J- July and August, it's fucking muggy and hot there. I don't, I don't want to be in that. So I think late spring and or you know mid to late spring and the late summer, early fall, probably good times to go. You know, late September. Are you transitioning? October. Are you transitioning right now? Is that what you're doing? Into what? Oh, Old whatever. Man? I don't know. I mean, no, there's like a million different genders. I don't know. I'm not going to try and assume your gender, but it sounds like you're you're transitioning into some sort of feminine creature. I don't know. Deal with it, you pussy. No, I just don't want to be in a overly hot, muggy situation or traveling when it's fucking cold and dangerous and icy and shitty. Bless them. I don't want to deal when it's like super cold and I don't want to get there and it's like hot and muggy. Oh my God, I just don't want to, have to deal with that. No, no, no. I'm, I'm strategically planning when is the best time to be where. Yeah, I think both of us are correct. It's cool and calculated. It's not emotional. Sure. What else can I talk about? Uh, we've got the Patreon. Several ways to get there. Patreon.com slash Reed Rothbard. ReedRothbard.com slash Patreon. Or ActualAnarchy.com slash Patreon. We've got the Libertarian Union. We're going to be doing the monthly State of the Libertarian Union talk show the last Sunday of the month, which will be April 30th, I believe. Not sure exactly how many participants we will have, but generally speaking, out of the dozen or so shows, we get four or six, between four and six, generally speaking, uh, having a conversation that goes about an hour or hour to two hours on some chosen topic or we try to stay on you know one thing or another and we cover uh, whatever whatever's clever not sure what we're going to do this this month around but we also do some updates on our various shows what things we're trying what has been introduced anything exciting that's happened lately hopefully we'll have Stephen Clyde of the Peace and Liberty podcast on this time uh, he is uh, so you can find his show at fourpeaceandliberty.com I think he's up to episode 30 six or something like that he's he's busting out an episode every day every weekday so he's a madman it's crazy but he's doing really well we're very excited for him and hopefully he can join us um for next sunday so you've got your brief notes 
Does that mean that the notes are, are sparse and minimal? Oh, I've got super minimal notes. I mean, I've seen the movie now twice, and I wrote just two, two notes. And, but there are all kinds of other things to discuss um, in terms of, I mean, you know, they, they were found not guilty, but they're clearly, <laughs> they're clearly the mafia. So that's always fun. We can divulge into that. Did they actually, you know, get to the juries? Is there jury tampering? Or did they really find them not guilty? Was the case of the government that flimsy for it being that long, nearly two years long? Or was it really just, you know, a whole lot of uh, circumstantial bullshit that, um, that, that governments like to use against normal people and hopefully that they'll cop to some, you know, reduced plea, the plea bargain down to some other, co- you know, lesser charge, and then, haha, there's a successful conviction for this prosecutor, and isn't his career great, and he's shooting up and doing well, and then it's also more excuses for the, the prison industrial complex to look at all these prisoners we have to take care of, so we need to tax more money and get more funds for that, and then you got the cops, they get the point of the huge crime rate, it's just everybody's everybody wins except for the people when uh, these things happen. Uh, what else is going on, Robert? Before we get into the last nighter's version of the show, mm, I don't know, man. What what what's happening? What is what's going down? Um, no, just a bunch of personal stuff. I don't know why I'm sharing that on the podcast. So let's uh, let's just get into it. All right, good enough for me. So, initiating normie mode. Hey everyone, it's Daniel and Robert of the Last Nighters, lastnighters.com. We're going to be talking about Find Me Guilty. It's a movie starring Vin Diesel, and he has hair in this one, so you might not recognize him, but you'll definitely pick up on his voice. And this is episode 16 of the show, so you can find the show notes and more at lastnighters.com slash 16. And let's say hello to Robert before we get into the Google description and start talking about this movie. How you doing, sir? What's up, everybody? Robert here. I'm going to talk about Find Me Guilty. This is... Um this is a recommendation of mine. I saw this movie and said, yeah, we should probably do this one. This one's got a lot of strong themes in it. And it's also another, it's like an overlooked, I don't know if it's necessarily a gem that this is like a great movie that people need to see, but it's a strong movie, I thought, for this show. And, uh, yeah, completely overlooked, especially at the box office. I think it, like, made like a dollar. So Maybe a buck fifty. Yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe dollar fifty. Not nowhere near like the uh, Fast and the Furious movies, which have made like five billion dollars. So this might have been some sort of a passion project of Vin Diesel's. I don't know, but glad it got made because this uh, this was a fun one to watch. All right, well let's get into it. The Google information is thus: Find Me Guilty, 2006 drama, docudrama, two hours and five minutes, and it feels every bit of that actually. Uh, 7.1 on the IMDb, 61% Rotten Tomatoes, 65% Metacritic, yet 92% of Google users love it. So the description is, imprisoned on a drug charge, mobster Jack DiNorcio, played by Vin Diesel, re- refuses to testify against his former associates in the Lucchese crime family. When an ambitious prosecutor brings him back to court, he decides to defend himself. Initially regarded with disbelief, his forceful presence and knowledge of the law 
Turn the Tide of the Trial. Uh, released February 16, 2006. Director is Sidney LeMay, and the box office was an abysmal $2.6 million on, I believe, was a $10 to $13 million budget. So it got kind of shithouse in the box office. But the reviews were fairly decent, fairly kind to it, um, but it's also a movie that is hard to find these days. Uh, I found a used copy on Amazon, and as I look at Amazon right now, there's a new version, or a new copy, uh, that's $40. So it's it's not super easy to get. So... Uh, <laughs> Uh, we usually recommend that people watch the, the movie and then listen to our show because we do spoilers all the time. That might be a little bit difficult in this case, but uh, do you know? Do enjoy listening to the show. Realize we're going to spoil it. And if you do get a chance, try to track it down and give this movie a watch. Uh, so your take on all that uh, Google information and my comments, Robert. Uh, well, um, first of all, I believe it's pronounced Lucchese. Um, and... I don't say it was necessarily his language or his knowledge of the law. I think he, he's better with people, and he was more of an entertainer. And he kind of won over the jury. He maybe did a few decent lawyerly things during the trial, but I, don't, I wouldn't say it was like some sort of masterstroke, brilliant lawyerly move that won the day. Um, he did a fair, fairly decent job, I thought, in his cross-examination of witnesses, pointing you know, holes in their, in their statements and that sort of thing or at least casting some sort of doubt, I think was his best best thing. But overall, um, yeah, I mean, I think he did an okay job, but it was more about winning the jury. And I think the movie kind of played off that a lot. I mean, this is a really long trial. It's like a 600-plus day trial, and you either, either got to like, as a jury member, you know, at a certain point, I think all the information kind of bleeds together, and either you got to like these guys or you got to hate these guys. And that plays a lot into your decision about whether or not you want to find them guilty or punish them for whatever. But again, we're not given you know all the information. Of course not. <laughs> There's no way you could watch you could watch Reams. They're just obviously picking and choosing very very select bits to uh, share with us the audience in this movie. Yeah, and that's, that brings up a good point because some of the dialogue in the film is actually lifted directly from the transcripts of the to- of the trial, and so that was kind of the basis for the story and the dialogue in, in this film. And it was uh, primarily just courthouse uh, with the occasional scene in his uh, prison. And, you know, it, it's a it's very limited number of sets. It's, it's, they tried to make it be um, dramatic and funny at the same time. So I, I, I did find some humor in this. Uh, but let's get into um, a bit of an overarching uh, narrative Robert, just give us a breakdown on the story, and then I want to ask you some specific questions uh, related. Okay, so this is a movie about the biggest RICO trial of all time, where the U.S. government, over a period of many, many years, compiled enough evidence, so they, they believe, to file charges under you know, this RICO Act, which is, RICO is essentially, I forget exactly what it stands for, but it's essentially a conspiracy law where if you're friends with somebody, or if you're seen associating or working with somebody who also commits a crime, then you're guilty for that same crime. Now, I would love to get involved. We could talk about this as a, I mean, that's a completely bullshit law. The idea that just because you know somebody, you are somehow guilty of the same things that they do, that the fact that that is in their minds any sort of form of justice is a joke. Now, I can understand from a governmental perspective, and I have zero sympathy for government, but from a governmental perspective, you're tasked with, you know, you think government's legitimate, and you are tasked with, you know, fighting the mob 
which is essentially created by government, not even essentially, it's directly created from government actions. The government, the mob operates in the black market. Things that are deemed illegal, you know, completely voluntary situations, transactions that are deemed illegal by the state. So they work in numbers. They work in, well, they don't always work voluntarily. So they'll also work like protection rackets. They'll work numbers rackets. They'll work prostitution. They'll work drugs. So drugs, prostitution, if those things were legal, you know, the, the amount of crime, of course, would go way, way, way down. The amount of violence involved in those situations would go way, way down. But the mob does do some bad things. Now, they're also not allowed to take part if they have a dispute. So there will be a mob dispute, and they got to decide, you know, they can't just go to the courts to get that taken care of, get that resolved. So what they usually do is they'll have a member, you know, of their family and a representative of the family that they have a beef with. And then they'll have a third representative who serves as a mediator who will sit and kind of arbitrate and sort of mediate any kind of a discussion. It's their own way of keeping things businesslike and nonviolent because, as we've said many, many times, violence is expensive. And you want to avoid violence as much as possible to settle disputes because, first of all, it's super risky. You can get killed, you can get hurt, but also it's just it's a disruption on normal business. And you'd rather be making money than spending money. So there's an incentive to keep things civil, but they're not allowed to use the courts because they operate in, quote, illegal activity. So the movie kind of picks up with Jackie DiNorcio in the Lucchese family, um, and they're basically trying to pin, they're trying to establish that the Lucchese family is a big crime family, and that all, you know, if they can find one of them guilty, and they basically pin their hopes on the mob boss, Lucchese mob boss, and I forget his name. Nick. Nick. But if you find one of them guilty, and so there's what, there's like 50-some defendants, and each one has like a lawyer. So you can imagine the length. And of course, it took like two years to do this, but of course, that's what they want to do, because they want to like bust up the entire family. All right, before you move on, I want to interject just two things. One, RICO is the Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act, and we can get into that a little bit um, further into the show and what a sham that is. Uh, but also your discussion about violence, um, being mitigated in these uh, dispute resolution methods. Um, I think that a lot of the average Joe thought of the mafia is violence from media, from mob movies and TV shows. It's like the old myth of the Wild West. You know, it's actually far less violent than as depicted in cowboy westerns and, and things like that. Now, certainly there are instances where the mafia is violent and things don't get resolved in a... Um, cordial manner, but I think that it's definitely blown out in proportion to uh, the reality. And that's what the government uses in this case to try to paint these guys as pure evil gangsters when, sure, sure they're doing quote-unquote illegal things. Um, and there's a great moment or two where there's absolute projection, where the prosecutor oh, yeah. is listing off all these terrible things that they do as part of the government, but then saying that it's really evil for these private citizens to do the, the that very thing. So anyway, we'll get into that a little bit. I just want to interject the RICO thing and talk a little bit about the violence that is probably overblown due to uh, media and culture. But continue on, sir. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the government has, well, first of all, I mean, we're talking about the government that, first of all, created the mob, and then B, denied that they existed. Like during like the 40s and the 50s, like J. Edgar Hoover was like, no, there's no such thing as the mob. Okay, whatever. 
then they go along and then, you know, 50 years later, they're like, yeah, these guys are terrible and they're the worst thing ever. And, oh, by the way, they just do exactly the same thing that we do. Because, yeah, they make things more expensive. They kill people from time to time. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've got, a, I've got a quote right here. It's, this group of leeches that suck money out of every enterprise, legitimate or illegitimate, to support their extravagant lifestyles. Total projection. And, yeah. and he says, it's a crime against all of America which isn't really a thing. Only individuals exist. America is not and cannot be a victim. There's really no victim in um, any of these charges that right. I was aware of. Right. No, they didn't. They didn't bring forth any victims. All they did was have like federal witnesses, like FBI informants and undercover cops come together and be like, yeah, those are the guys. We saw money. We saw drugs, blah, blah, blah. But there was never anybody that came out and said, you killed my sister or whatever. Yeah, if so, anything, the victim, the biggest victim was um, the Vin Diesel character. He had been shot four times by his cousin. and then Yeah, that's yeah. how the movie starts. Yeah, yeah. yeah he yeah, starts he, off with his, his drug-addled cousin shooting him with a twenty two pistol multiple times. And, you know, he's, uh, there's a great line. <laughs> As he's laying there in the hospital, after these two cops come in and they're like, did you see anything? You know, who, who shot you? And he's like, I had my eyes closed the whole time. <laughs> and then they ask... They ask his daughter, and she's like, I had my eyes closed the whole time. And then, and then Denarcio's Jackie's like, you know, if I had my head cut off and I'd like been torn apart and gutted and cut to pieces, you don't call the cops. You call this other guy. Oh, that's just great. Because these guys, these guys are, you know, they see the government as a pack of crooks. A competition. I mean, it's competition. Absolutely. It's really one mob, you know, fighting another mob. And one mob is vastly outnumbered and outgunned by the other mob. But the big mob has these set of rules that they make up and that supposedly people are supposed to play by. So. Yeah, and I, I really like uh, Jackie's loyalty. And he, he is no rat. You know, he's a live-and-let-live type of guy. Don't call the cops. And he loves his family and friends, and he keeps repeating that to them, and almost to the point of annoyance to many of them and to me as a, as a viewer, as an audience member, but uh, I think that he really did believe that the family bond was much stronger and that he was kind of um, allowing for a lot of the struggles that like his cousin were, were having, was having. Um, he, he thought that he'd come through it because of that love that he had for him. It was a little sappy, that part, for me. But Well, you've got to have a little bit of an emotional heart to a movie. So I think they, you know, they, they probably focused on that a little bit. Um, now, Jackie, he does say at one point, um, you know, I've read the RICO Act. And I think it applies more to the, those guys in Washington than it does to me and my friends. And could you, could you give us again exactly what the, the name, the word RICO stands for? Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act. Yeah, Racketeering and Corrupt Organizations Act. I mean, it sure sounds like the government. So, I mean, it's, it's nothing but a cons criminal conspiracy. You get two people yeah. in a room, plan a, you know, to... Uh, commit a crime, and that's a conspiracy. I mean, what is the government if not creating laws that are criminal in nature? Well, here's a summary. And, Under and, Rico, and even, no, sorry, even, even committing felonies according to their own laws. I mean, just, what, a couple of days ago, Trump bombed Syria, even though that's supposedly illegal. Even, you know, the, the president's supposed to go to the Congress to ask for permission to declare war and do that sort of thing. But they don't. They just, they just kill people. Anyway, go ahead, Daniel. 
All right, so here's a list of the racketeering activity that are outlined under the RICO law. Any violation of state statutes against gambling, murder, kidnapping, extortion, arson, robbery, bribery, dealing in obscene matter, or dealing in a controlled substance or a listed chemical as defined by the Controlled Substances Act. Any act of bribery, counterfeiting, theft, embezzlement, fraud, dealing in obscene matter, obstruction of justice, slavery, racketeering, gambling, money laundering, commission, of murder for hire, and many other offenses covered under the Federal Criminal Code, Title 18, embezzlement of union funds, how convenient, bankruptcy fraud or securities fraud, drug trafficking, long-term and elaborate drug networks, can also be prosecuted using the continuing criminal enterprise statute, criminal copyright infringement, money laundering and related offenses, bringing in, aiding, or assisting aliens in illegally entering the country only if the action was for financial gain, and finally, acts of terrorism. Mm. Well, you can, you can, then you can prosecute Antifa under the RICO Act and every, every black block member <laughs> Antifa. You, you could go after the guy who, who loaded this up to YouTube. Yeah. Pretty much and anything. It, apparently you, anything can, you can assist aliens in illegal entering the country um, as a uh, non-profit. <laughs> well, that's every sanctuary city. Yep. Though yeah. you could argue that they want to bring people in to get more um, source, more funding, right? Technically, you could say that they vote Democratic, which is essentially yeah, voting to increase the size of government, which would increase your funding. Yeah. But well, you're not technically them, profiting. But it gives them the, um, you know, oh, we've got 10,000 people we need to service. We need a bigger budget and more staff. Oh, for sure. For sure. But you're just doing your job as a government bureaucrat. You're not technically profiting. Yeah, you got to grow your fiefdom. That's right, baby. It's the name of the game, power, baby. Because, you know, you've got to fix the world with your central controlled planning. You've got to be corrupt, absolutely. Yeah, baby. All right, so under RICO, a person who has committed at least two acts of racketeering activity drawn from a list of 35 crimes, 27 federal and eight state crimes, within a 10-year period can be charged with racketeering if such acts are related in one of four specified ways to an enterprise. Those found guilty of racketeering can be fined up to 25000 and sentenced up to 20, 20 years in prison per racketeering count. In addition, the racketeering must forfeit all ill-gotten gains and interest in any business gained through a pattern of racketeering activity. In many cases, the threat of a RICO indictment can force defendants to plead guilty to lesser charges, in part because the seizure of assets would make it difficult to pay a defense attorney. And despite its harsh provisions, a RICO-related charge is considered easy to prove in court as it focuses on patterns of behavior as opposed to criminal acts. So it totally throws out the entire justice common law tradition right. of having a victim, uh, of having an individual who is charged with a crime, who is uh, able to meet his accuser, defend himself from the allegations. It's, it entirely sidesteps that. And I believe it was because they were finding it so difficult, the government, to prosecute uh, people for, for these alleged crimes. And so they wanted to find an easy way to, to make it, um, you know, to pad their stats, essentially, to get political gains. Um, in the pre-show, you were talking about that a little bit, about how prosecutors have every incentive to overcharge and then get people to, to bust down the charges to plead to lesser charges to get their, um, you know, to get their numbers stacked. And I think that that is a, uh, a perverse incentive. It's a political incentive. It's a bureaucratic incentive. And it's a very dangerous thing to introduce into any, any measure of justice. Absolutely. No, it's a sick perversion of justice. So... The idea that, yeah, you're, you know, just some guy who runs, you know, runs errands for somebody who commits murders, and now you're being prosecuted for murder. It's, uh, it's disgusting. I mean, you know, there's a, there are social norms that deal with this sort of thing. I mean, 
if you have, you know, you're making these social contacts and you're known, you're, like, your reputation is as that you work for these criminals, you know, your reputation will suffer. But anyway, I don't know where I was going with that. Sorry. Well, um, I want to I introduce uh, Tyrion Lannister for the defense. Sure. Do it. Yeah, it was kind of fun to see uh, Peter Dinklage in this one uh, before the Game of Thrones uh, action, and uh, he was a very astute uh, defense attorney representing one of the one of the twenty um, accused mobsters, gangsters, and he kind of helped out um, uh, the Vin Diesel character a little bit, uh, helped coach him through some of his uh, rougher edges. Um, but his opening statement, he read the Latin that was on the judge's lectern or whatever you call it, like his bench, and uh-huh. it was, you know, let justice be done, though the heavens may fall. And I thought that that was a really apropos thing because it flies in the face of what Rico does. You know, Rico is anti-justice. And yeah. what this saying is, is getting at, the heart of it, is that you seek justice no matter what the inventions of man are. You know, the contrivances of man, whatever they've built up around it, if it's not just, you can't, you can't pursue it or, or not, uh, I don't want to like re- use the term too much, but if you can't justly do the thing that needs to be done, then you shouldn't be doing it. Right, which is why our, you know, jury nullification comes in or, you know, just, just hung juries and finding people not guilty of regardless of the evidence sometimes. If there's no victim, there's no crime. And that needs to be far more done, you know, far more widespread because I, I believe at the beginning of trials, like judges warn anybody about talking about jury nullification in any kind of deliberations. And like if you do, you can get kicked off the jury and that sort of thing. Yeah, they say you must um, follow my instructions to the letter. And if the law has been broken, you must find, you know, that he's guilty. Right. Like you're not measuring the the veracity of the law itself, which is also counter to the spirit of the justice system as conceived. Right. I forget the quotes, but there are quotes about, you know, it's your duty to fight unjust laws or something like that. It's the duty of good men to oppose evil or something like that. I don't know. I'm butchering all kinds of things here tonight. But um, let me ask you, though, did you I mean, I thought that they were clearly guilty of something, but the government with this horseshit RICO law wasn't the right way to do it. You you know, if you got somebody who's guilty of a murder, you go and you prosecute the guy for murder. You don't prosecute the 55 people for whatever, all this one umbrella thing. Now, I thought it was it made sense. And the uh, Jackie character got a lot of flack. The main character got a lot of flack for wanting to represent himself because you find one person guilty of one thing, and you got to find them all guilty. It's essentially the RICO law. Well, that's what they were saying in the movie. And so everybody was really angry with Jackie for you know, representing himself, but the Dinklage character actually thought he did a really good job. And he was you know, shown to do a fairly good job throughout. Uh, there was one point in the movie where I thought he was out of line, where he was essentially arguing that this FBI guy was shouldn't have bought alcohol for his alcoholic brother. I mean, sure, it's probably a responsible thing to not buy alcohol for an alcoholic brother, but if your, di- your brother dies from alcoholism and some FBI guy bought him some alcohol one time, that guy's not responsible for your brother's death. You, slight, you made a tiniest little con- contribution to maybe a little bit enabling the guy, but ultimately the, the alcoholic is responsible for his own death if he's killing himself from alcohol. I'm sorry. Right, though the, the FBI agent was clearly using him and using that weakness to achieve an end. So it was oh, yeah, I'm not certainly slimy. It was definitely slimy and underhanded, for sure. But he's not responsible for the guy's death of alcoholism. But yeah, I mean, he's, he's a government agent. Of course, he's a tool. Right. 
Now, uh, you were talking about how Jackie handled, in general, you know, things very well, other than that situation. And I think you're right. He was a bit of a character, and they made reference to you know, him having a late-night talk show when he was all done with this. And, and he got the jury laughing and liking him, and, and they had that saying, you know, laughing jury ain't a hanging jury, uh, because the prosecutors want to paint the government, the prosecution, wants to paint these people as liars, thieves, murderers, arsonists, you know, killers, drug runners, uh, prostitution ring runners, you know, all these terrible, terrible things. But Jackie's defense was essentially, we're just family guys. We know each other. We knew each other since we were kids. We've got wives. We've got kids. Uh, we do hundreds of interactions with various people in the community every day. And all the government can do is bring up three or four junkies <laughs> and, you know, unstable individuals uh, to make these allegations against us that aren't even like legitimate crimes or charges. And uh, I liked how he also took the affirmative defense when they were talking about um, him doing coke. And he said, yeah, yeah, I don't deny it, you know? Yeah, that, that was great. He's like, yeah, I'll never deny it. I love coke. <laughs> he said it right in front of everybody. He's like, yeah, I love coke. I do it all the time. Which, yeah, don't deny it. Run out in front of it. Be like, yeah, I love drugs. What? It's not illegal to love drugs. Well, the That's loving is on trial for. <laughs> right, yeah, well, yeah. He wasn't copying to that. It wasn't a charge, right? That wasn't one of his right. charges. So, yeah, he, he right. got away with being able to say that. So do you think that they should have found them guilty? Not uh, from no. our perspective. No, 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 because most of the charges were, were bullshit. I mean, they didn't, like, list them all out entirely. But yeah. they didn't bring up one real victim. Uh, the story right. that he had with, um, I want to say the guy's name was Juarez or something like that. He said, no, you tell, you tell the story to the jury. He's like, okay, so Jackie's doing this deal. <laughs> And right. there's seven guys, and he's got a six-shot revolver. And the, the guys say to him, well, we're not going to give you the money because you've only got six shots. There's seven of us. So Jackie says, well, I'll shoot six of you and strangle the seventh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then they walked out of there with the money. And, uh, I mean, it, he's, all, he's essentially copying to a crime, right? But not any sure. of the crimes that he was particularly charged with in this event. So I do think that there was some underhanded dealings that they, they were involved in, but for what they were on trial for and for, you know, like you said, they wouldn't even be a thing if it weren't for a, an even bigger mafia outlawing certain things and incentivizing somebody to provide that service in a black market and under market area uh, that is rife with, you know, more risks and, and dangers involved. Right. I mean, who wants, I mean, look at what he's reduced to. I mean, they're reduced to doing Coke deals in hotel rooms, you know, with people you just met or, you know, barely kind of know, and you got to kind of trust them or not trust them. And it's, it's a sketchy, sketchy system. And you're putting yourself at risk, like you said, with, you know, seven guys in there and you got a six shot revolver. It's a, it's a risky business and it attracts, you know, people that are kind of attracted to that sort of lifestyle but I'm sure that they would be just as happy, not necessarily just as happy maybe for these kind of people, but this, you know, if this was legal, it, you would, you know, you'd walk into the local pharmacy and order up a, a gram of Coke or whatever, and it would be way, way cheaper, and it would be way, way safer, and the quality would be a lot higher, and maybe there would be different brands you could buy, and, you know, in different consistencies or different flavors, I don't know. Whatever. Like with weed, oh. it's, it's almost uh, 420, and, you know, you get the Johnny Chimpo flavor sure you can get the frankenstein you get all kinds of different ones you can get the frankenberry actually over here i don't you got, you got frankenberry over there uh i have no idea okay not my bag well, baby. Point is, yeah well you can get all kinds of different sizes and different flavors and different strains and that's the the market working and that's with it being taxed out the wazoo that's with a million dollar licensing fee and 51 percent producer's tax and then 34% sales tax. 
Like 85% tax. Then they're taxed on the profits. So, yeah, and then they're taxed on the profit on the back end. So it's... <laughs> talk about a protection racket. Talk about a protection racket. Here, it's legal, and here we're going to take 85% of this market. Yeah, I mean, it's totally, doing goes, what? it totally goes into the projection, you know, the tirade about things costing more because of these yeah. guys over here. Well, look yeah. at yourselves in the mirror. <laughs> you just yeah. made weed like 10 times more expensive. Yeah, we went to the store with uh, my aunt and we bought some, some edibles and she bought this bag that had like 10 candies in it, 10 candies. And it was like 45 bucks. And I mentioned the tax rate and I'm like, you know, that bag should have cost like five bucks. <laughs> she just made her sad. It just made her sad. Yeah, so so like like we said, you know, not only are they making things cost more, but they fucking kill people from time to time. <laughs> Even more than time to time with the government. I mean, we're talking how many millions of dead, and displaced, and cholera out of control in the Middle East? How many hundreds of millions of dead in the 20th century alone? I mean, the numbers are astronomical. And the mafia, I mean, they'll kill each other from time to time because they have no other form of dispute resolution other than what we already talked about, but yeah, there's not like, I mean, it's really, it's an anarchic system and where's the big violence coming out of the mafia? Like we said, it's like the wild, wild west. It's played up for the cameras, it's played up for the movies, but it's really rare because people are people. Violence is expensive. It's risky, it's dangerous, and it's contrary to making a profit in business. So it's, you know, anyway, yeah, I feel just, like I'm beating a dead horse right now. It's, this is like obvious shit. We are, we are being a dead horse. We're going to chop its head off and we're going to put it in your bed because you didn't pay up. Um, so, you know, speaking of the, the Godfather and whatnot, um, I, I had uh, something interesting to talk about and now I totally forgot. Uh, so we did the projection thing. Um, oh, so the uh, Jackie's performance and Tyrion Lannister's performance, especially catching that one guy with the uh, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Claiming to be a college professor in philosophy, misattributing the quote to Machiavelli instead of Lord Acton, right. which was, yeah. you know, crazy dumb. Um, and it's absolutely true. Power does corrupt and it does. Absolute power does corrupt. Absolutely. Uh, that uh, the prosecution finally says, OK, we want to offer them a plea deal now because we're at risk of losing. And it's a different amount of years for each of the I think there are 20 or so um, accused and different one different people were going to get different amounts for sentencing in this deal and Jackie convinces them all to say fuck them and they all vote no unanimously and i thought that was pretty great yeah i i agree that was a strong moment in the film where they're like hey you can rat out your friends and cop to a plea deal and say that you're guilty and your friends are other friends are guilty or you can just say no and you know there's a there's a scene where where Jackie is talking to the court and the, the judge threatens to find him in contempt for the court. And he says, you know, I got nothing but contempt for this court. And I just had to be like, yeah, what, by what right does this, this asshole claim to have authority over you, claim to have authority to essentially decide your fate, to essentially, you know, decide whether you live or die or whether you spend the rest of your life in a cage or not. Right, and the prosecutor, he smelled blood in the water at that. He went up to the judge and said, he undermines the authority of your court, Your Honor. Yeah, and, and then Tyr even the Dinklage character was like, yeah, judges don't like it when you disrespect their court. And so then he meekly had his tail between his legs, and he was like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to disrespect you. It's like, son of a bitch, I wish you'd just stuck to your guns. That's like the, the old apologizing for being right. Oh, yeah, yeah, never apologize. 
I mean, if, if you're right, don't ever apologize. But uh, mm-hmm. I think um, Lannister, he said, um, that's the one thing that pisses off a judge the most, is making a mockery of the proceedings. Right, and, because, yeah, they, they, their whole world is situated around the legitimacy of the proceedings. Right, the, the religious spectacle and... Yeah, with uh, the robes <laughs> and the hammer. <laughs> right, the ceremony and the, the, the procedures flag. and the yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, it's great. Might as well have incense and like little music and stuff too. I mean, why not? Crystal and everybody ball. has to stand up and like bow before him and crap. It's like it's disgusting. Yeah, that's another thing that bothered me. It was was when um, Jackie first addressed the judge. The judge was like, "No, you have to stand up to come talk to me." Yeah, it's like we're just two people here, buddy. <laughs> You're not better than me. It's gross, but these are what the the makeshift you know religion rules that this uh, state has come up with. Um, speaking of the the lack of self awareness in the movie, you know, there's this the scene that I particularly enjoy the most, and we've mentioned it here a little bit. But there's a scene where the prosecutor is talking to his team, and they're in his office, and one of his helpers says that you know one of the jurors finds Jackie cute. And then he, the prosecutor launches into this tirade about these people are so stupid. All these mafia people do is make everything more expensive because all the goods that come in through the port, they take a cut, blah, 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 and they plus they kill people. Now, that was obviously not part of the trial transcript. So this is an invention by the writer. Now, do you think that this is the writer's voice? And do you think the writer was aware of the irony? Was this a point he was trying to make? Because it came across loud and clear to me that this is some tone-deaf guy who doesn't own a mirror saying this crap. But I'm also perfect audience member to see that irony. So do you think that was intentional? Do you think that's the writer's voice coming through? Or do you think that was just an accident and that that would be something that the prosecutor would say? It felt like you were going to say something else uh, at another, another moment. Uh, you know, it's really hard to know because it could it could go either way for sure. Um, I think that we're in tune to see these things um, in film that other people might not see. And I just said, yeah, that was, that was that was one of the second part of my question was what percentage of the audience do you think found that ironic? That, that That's the line ironic from that guy. Right. But it does make sense that the you know, everyone thinks they're a white hat. Right. So the prosecutor thinks that he's doing, you know, the right thing, the correct job. And he's upset that he's not getting these guys to roll over for him and that he's losing the jury. And he seems to more respect his authority than the intention of the uh, apparatus. You know, like he's deriding the jury, even though they're an important part of this entire facade. Right. This whole justice system, criminal trial. Yeah. The whole ceremony really depends on them. Right. This whole theater. Yet he doesn't respect them. Right. No, he thinks they're idiots. Yeah. But then later, he goes on about how there's a collective power that emerges in his uh, closing statement where he's talking about the the court proceedings and the process of determining guilt or or innocence. And that, uh, I don't know, it was almost almost like saying that we're all bound together in this human family and it's only collectively that we can solve our problems. Did you get any vibe Probably. of that? I, I, I got a vibe of that. I don't remember the exact quote of what you're talking about. I remember the scene where he's giving his final comments. It's a closing argument. But, um, I mean, yeah, well, his, his, his whole life and worldview revolves around the legitimacy of this theater. 
right, and the social contract. And, and the last part of his statement was, these guys broke the law for decades with utter, utter disregard for the law, and they deserve to be punished by society for these crimes. Right. That is his view. That is his worldview, that these people were thumbing their noses at the law for all this time, and that even if this case falls apart, and even if he didn't do a good job proving anything, you need to find them guilty because clearly, I mean, look at them. Look at them. They're a bunch of mobsters, and you know they're guilty of something even if we did a shit show job here. So, yeah, that was kind of my vibe of what I got from that guy. Um, and, you know, in the real life, they, they found him innocent. Yeah, he reminded me of the Eric character from Billy Madison. Remind me who the Eric character was? He was the, the guy competing with Billy to become the next president of, the, of Madison Hotels. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a very similar actor. Yeah, with a little Weasley laugh. Temperament. <laughs> yeah, a little Weasley temperament, too. Like, why don't they hate them? Like, I'm telling them they should hate them. Business ethics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, uh, if I were on that jury and that actor was playing, you know, the real person and whatnot, I would have hated him. So I would have taken everything he said with a grain of salt. Um, I mean, I don't know if the real-life prosecutor was that unlikable. But uh, they also had, I mean, this also took place, I guess, in what, Giuliani's district? Because that's how it begins. But then he never shows up. Obviously, they don't have like an actor playing as Giuliani. But, I mean, if you're going to ask me my opinion on that dirtbag, <laughs> I probably would have just said, innocent, day one, and walked out. Yeah, if I recall, I think that's where he, uh, he made his name, was with, with not this trial, but other uh, anti-poverty. Mafia or, stuff. Anti-mafia, yep. yeah, not anti-poverty. Um, and that's kind of where he first got into the spotlight and what was he the mayor of new york when 9-11 happened and so that was the other thing that really really hitched his wagon too yeah he made his bones on mob trials in the 90s as what like the head prosecutor in new york right trying to clean up the city law and order type and then uh yeah off that he yeah a successful mayor bid and then stood next to george bush what a stud. Right, and then and put that into a presidential bid uh, until then, Ron Paul shut his ass down. <laughs> until Ron Paul told him to sit down and take your toys and go home, boy. <laughs> like a oh, ball. man, that was good stuff. Yeah. All right, so ball. I wanted to ask you, um, the amount of effort that went into prosecuting these guys, the 76 counts in the indictment, the 400-plus exhibits, the 600 plus days and they even show it like wearing out the the people accused like one of the guys collapses and then they bring in his hospital bed and even the uh, prosecution are like you know worn out from all of this they, they're not getting any sleep they're frustrated by this people are on the jury for two years not doing their lives not doing their productive employment creating value for others i mean this whole thing just seems like this huge fucking waste of time, resources, effort, everything. Uh, did you get that? The government doesn't make things more expensive, Daniel. Sorry. <laughs> they fucking kill people from time to time. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we don't get the uh, overall, even just the cost in the money spent to prosecute the case. We don't even get that. But you're right. There's so many other intangibles that increase the cost like exponentially of all the time people are just sitting around not doing productive work. You're right. So who knows what the actual cost is to the world and everybody else. So it's terrible. Government spends, yeah, hundreds of millions of dollars probably prosecuting this case. How many millions of dollars prosecuting other cases? Billions, sorry. Yeah, and, and had the government won their case, it would have been even worse because then they had to, like, incarcerate all these guys and pay for that. <laughs> yeah, and then spend millions of dollars to put them in behind bars. Yeah, it's, uh, 
it's a fucked up system that makes no goddamn sense, but that's what you get when you have a government monopoly and they don't actually have to compete to uh, lower costs. All right, so before we wind this down, because we're, we're approaching an hour here, um, I wanted to bring up the turn with the cousin, because he's their star witness for the government, and this is like well into the trial, and they're like, he's the clincher, right? He's the one who's going to name the names and point the fingers and, and be able to like eyewitness testimony say that these are the guys who did X, Y, and Z and seal the deal on this case. So the thing that stood out to me was that I think it's the Peter Dinklage character, uh, Tyrion Lannister. He has this board up and he's like calling off all these names of heavy drugs and establishing that this star witness at the time was a frequent user of all of these mind-altering substances, including heroin and meth and cocaine and quaaludes and valiums and all these things like this list of like 20 items. Totally destroying any credibility this guy has in the eyes of the jury, for sure. Um, plus, plus, doesn't doesn't uh, Vin Diesel get on and basically point out that the only reason he turned state's evidence is so they could keep hooking him up with drugs? Yes, and that was the turn I was talking about. Okay. So, so Vin Diesel, trying to do the right thing by his cousin, out of love for him, stops enabling him. Right. This upsets his cousin so much that he, probably not in a very good state of mind, thinks that Jackie needs to be killed because he's given money out to everyone else, he's given jobs to everyone else, he's helping out everyone else but me. But what he failed to realize is that Jackie was helping him out by, A, letting him live with him, that's enabling him enough, but then not giving him any additional money with which he's just going to shoot into his arm. Right. Yeah, that's the junkie mentality. They can't see the forest for the trees. Right, and they so the government see. became his pimp. Right, so and yeah, so, he'll say whatever they want. So that just destroys his, yeah, his credibility, like he said. Right, and it totally shows the... Um, you know, the, all the projection that was happening earlier where the, where the prosecutor was talking about all these evil things, um, but it's really the government that is doing them. Uh-huh. Well, there's your prime example. Their star witness yeah. is their junkie that they are pimping out to uh, get their conviction or, or think they're going to get the conviction from him. Right. So they just revealed their hand that, yeah, we're, we're slime balls. <laughs> we'll feed a junkie drugs just to try and get this conviction. Um, I think I think that would probably come through to the jury, hopefully, if they're not too brains turns to mush from two years of blathering on. And just imagine sitting down for eight hours a day, listening to this crap over and over again. I don't know if I could do it. It'd be brutal. Right, and this whole structure is just crazy. Um, I remember in my fire, firearms training that um, the instructor was saying that, you know, if you are ever involved in a self-defense shooting, the prosecution and the police are going to lie to you and get you to say something that they're going to turn against you and try to paint you as this evil monster who has a gun because you're looking for trouble and you think you're Rambo and that you want to use violence to solve your problems. You know, they're going to use all of these like worst possible things. And, and you saw that in this movie where they tried to paint them as evil, murdering, arsonist, prostitution, gangster types um, instead of, you know, just people who happen to be, um, you know, maybe doing some somewhat illicit things that probably most of them shouldn't be illegal anyway. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, th- their list of crimes would go way down. I mean, besides, you know, the, the, um, the illegal stuff, like if I could okay, collect my thoughts here on this, like say you make all these vices legal tomorrow, you know, their list of crimes obviously would instantly go down because all of a sudden the things that they're doing are now legal. Well, but you have then, a prime example in um, alcohol prohibition. That was the rise right. of this gangster mentality. And, you know, one day alcohol is fine, the next day it's not. And then, I don't know, 16 years later or whatever it was, it reversed. I mean, did that change the morality of it? Right. But, I mean, 
what would their list of crimes be once all that stuff is made legal? Maybe extortion? Or would they make enough money that they wouldn't even feel the need to extort anybody? I don't know. But uh, clearly you can't trust the government. And I think that came through in the movie. I, I, I want to – I wonder though. I mean this movie seemed like a very much – I mean they've got Mafia as the protagonists, as the hero of the story. Now we're somewhat used to that in that there have been Mafia movies like The Godfather and The Sopranos. And there are somewhat, you know, sort of redeemable characters in those movies and in that entertainment. But you could also, I, I'm sure you could also watch The Sopranos and say, there isn't a single character on here that I like. They're all bad people. But in this movie, they're very much portrayed as the heroes, and the government is portrayed as the villain. And I can see why this movie probably didn't get a, you know, a wide release. But it seemed to be an intentional thing on the filmmaker's part, because they could have told the story from another perspective, from the prosecutor's perspective, and made these guys out to be villains, and like this massive injustice happened that they were found innocent due to, you know, who knows what, a stupid jury or jury tampering or whatever, cockamamie, whatever. But do you think, I mean, are you okay with this? Are you okay, you know? Do you feel good? thinking that, you know, I can cheer on these, these mafia guys being the heroes? Well, I, I found that the movie to be entertaining and have a libertarian streak within it, like you were saying, but I think it's a case of maybe we're picking up something that might not intentionally be there. I mean, that happens from time to time. Think of Firefly. You know, it's made by this uber leftist, and it's uh-huh. this libertarian space cowboy <laughs> uh, fantasy, which is, right. you know, kind of an inadvertent... Um, it's like scoring a, a a goal when you just intended to like you know kick the ball away randomly. <laughs> right. Yeah, they might not. It might not be intentional, but it seemed to be fairly intentional that they really kind of vilified the prosecutor. I mean, he was this kind of dickbag, smarmy guy, and I'm sure that came across as they were doing the research. The writer were doing the research for the movie. You know, having to listen to all this material to cull you know the choices bits out for the story. But it seemed to be very anti-government, anti-authority. I thought, I thought it had a great message, even though the heroes were not necessarily good people. They were up against worse people. <laughs> and so I, could, I, could, I found myself cheering for them, absolutely. I wanted them to be found innocent, even though they're probably guilty of any number of crimes, real crimes, real aggression, murders, and whatever else. Yes, sir. Well, if you want to just continue on that thought and uh, give us your final summary and uh, rating, sir. Okay. Well, I, you know, this movie probably should have made a little bit more money than it did. Um, it probably didn't have a big budget to market it, and it probably didn't find its audience, obviously. Um, but I would give this movie. I mean, I, I don't know if it's like the best movie, but if you have an interest in this sort of thing, I would recommend it. I would say that this is about a seven point four to seven, yeah, maybe like a seven point six. I really enjoyed it. Um, I know Dan said that it felt long and it does kind of drag a little bit probably in the middle um, because it is essentially just a whole bunch of courtroom scenes and the people just talking so if you're going to be bored by that then sorry that's what it is but i found uh, the vin diesel character to be a charming guy Um, he wasn't the smartest guy in the world but he had a nice personality a fun personality and i really enjoyed his loyalty Uh, his loyalty was fantastic his his uh, loyalty to his family to the people that he loved and he cared about i think that's i mean everybody can take something positive from that so I was rooting for the guy. I was cheering for the guy, even though I didn't necessarily think he was the best guy. And um, I did enjoy this movie. 7.6. Daniel? 
All right, 7.6, not too bad, not too bad at all. Um, I'm glad that you recommended this movie, and um, I'm also glad that I was able to find it as used on Amazon, like I was saying earlier, because uh, a new copy is about $40 right now. So if you are on the lookout for it, um, maybe hold out for a used one or, or something like that. Um, I think there might even be a uh, semi-pirated version on YouTube where you know how sometimes they'll um, zoom in really far and darken it up or do something weird to, to make it not get caught by the um, automated... Um, like algorithms that identify quote-unquote copyrighted material. Yeah, they'll either pitch it up or down a little bit and then, yeah, crop it or zoom it, yeah. Yeah, so you guys might be able to find it there, and that's probably good enough. I mean, it's not like you're watching this for the spectacle. You know, it's not like a, a, a heavy, you know, graphics-intensive type uh, movie, immersive-going, movie-going experience. But it, it is, you know, it does feel very long, but if you're into the um, mobster, gangster-type stuff and court, proceedings and things like that. It can be very entertaining, and, and he is a charming guy. It's Vin Diesel kind of flexing his chops a little bit. Um, he's more known as like an action star and, and as being bald and kind of buff. And in this, he's got hair, and he's kind of dopey, and he doesn't seem all that big um, to me in this one. I mean, there's a scene where he gets beat up by a couple of guards, and he you know tries to fight back a little bit, but then they beat him to a pulp. And, and even to the cops, or even to the prison guards, um, when they're saying, you know, what, what are you going to tell the judge when they see you all beat up? He says, uh, I fell down the stairs. So his loyalty wasn't just to his family. It was like part of his code of honor. You know, he's yeah. not going to rat on anybody for any reason he's got whatsoever. A, he's got a principle. I liked it. He's not going to rat. Uh, that was really something anybody could really get behind. Right. I'm a big fan of principle. So I, that, that helps bring this up. I'm going to give it a seven. Um, it's not the greatest movie ever, but it, it certainly is worth watching. And if you are of a libertarian persuasion, I think that you'll find uh, some subtle nods. It's sometimes nice to see um, the villains projecting uh, their evil yeah. upon others, but they're far more guilty of, of those very evils that they're talking about, yet they don't seem to be able to see it. Uh, yep. So that's very interesting. And one final note I wanted to, to mention, uh, we talked about culture and gangster movies and how uh, they're kind of based on, you know, entertaining you with the violence that, that's going on. Uh, yet they all seem to have a lot of older guys in them, right? Old mafia guys, like even the Sopranos, a lot of the main characters are old guys. Well, if it was so violent, how'd they get to be old? That's a good point. Yeah, there's like a lot of retired guys in this movie too. And there's one guy, like you said, there's a guy that has a heart attack. And he's like in a bed for the rest of the movie. And everybody else has got gray hair. There aren't any young guys in this movie that are being prosecuted. Yeah, so I mean, even even within the, the media, you know, movie and culture, even that doesn't jive within its own self, right? So anyway, just something I thought of at the last yeah, moment good here. Point. Good point. Uh, speaking of last moment, these are the last moments of this episode of The Last Nighters on Find Me Guilty, the Vin Diesel movie. Uh, it's a very fun movie, so do check it out if you do get the chance. You can find the show notes and more at lastnighters.com slash 16. And I'm going to say goodnight from last night. And continuing the transmission on the Actual Anarchy podcast, we have just a few more minutes. Yeah, one thing we, we didn't we talk about, how they, uh, they try to hive him off into his own trial because he's such a disruptive force in the RICO one. So they threatened to do that, right? Right, which would have been, I think, kind of against the rules of the game, the rules of the engagement. Yeah, I like think you'd have to throw trial, the they, Yeah, I would think you would yeah, declare a mistrial and have to start over. Right, and then do but, another whole waste of time and money and resources. Yeah, and another couple of years. Booyah!
Yeah, man. I, I thought it was a fun movie. Um, I saw a bunch of, you know, libertarian themes in there, you know, especially any kind of movie that makes the government out to be the bad guys, which is what they are, kind of shows the government for what they are is, is a good thing, regardless of who, you know, because usually you think of the mafia as the bad guys, and the government as the good guys, and this kind of flips it on its head. So, good stuff. I mean, even though, you know, clearly the mafia aren't good guys, but would they be, they'd be a lot better guys in a non-governmental system? Yeah, yeah. It's um, interesting stuff. Yeah. yeah, so we'll be talking about that with the Don't Waste Your Hate guys who are also from Joyzy. Yeah, and you know, seeing, seeing these things, I think, is just a, a matter of you see the things that you take interest in and everything else you kind of just blends in, right? Yeah, like if I was a big fashion person, I'd probably care about what they're wearing and whatnot and, you know, go, oh, these look people they look terrible. Oh, the pinky rings and whatever. But yeah, it's just like, who cares? I right. Or, the, 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 yeah, the projection. Right, because I mean, without some level of special specialized knowledge or specific knowledge about a particular thing, uh, it, it all looks like every other thing that's similar to it, and they all you know look roughly the same. So I yeah, think, I wonder. That's why I was trying to wonder what you know the average audience member would see in this movie. Would they would the same things kind of stick out to them or not to me? I don't know. I think a lot of these lines would have maybe just kind of passed by, but they really they really stood out to me as being significant and it seemed to me like the writers were aware of it but maybe they weren't i don't know yeah i'm not sure what made it go shithouse in the box office i mean it had not a super wide release i think it had 400 theaters or 500 theaters and they made under a thousand dollars a theater in their opening weekend which is pretty garbage yeah and it went from release date to dvd in like three months which you know is fairly common now because they're competing with so many other media streaming services now. Mm-hmm. But 10 years ago, I mean, it would often be six or 10 months before you'd see the uh, DVD release on something. You know, they try to do it in time for like the, the holidays or something like that. But it seemed right. to be a much longer cycle. And this yeah, was yeah. like almost straight to DVD. Yeah, it's not a good sign. <laughs> sure isn't. It means they've, they've wrung every last dollar out of the theatrical release that they could. And it's time to move on and see what you can get on the, the home market. But yeah, this is a movie obviously didn't find its audience. Uh, it had plenty of big name actors. I mean, this is pre Game of Thrones Tyrion Lannister, so take it for what it is. You know, Peter Dinklage. I think what what Game of Thrones started in oh eight oh nine. Has it been that long? Like that. I thought they were in like season six now. There are, but it hasn't been. I don't think it's been every year. Mm, okay. Maybe it was two ten. Maybe two ten. So a few years Maybe. after this. Anyway, anyway, it's a couple years after this. So anyway, um, yeah, good stuff. I do want to mention that we are going to do our Boys Night Out episode this Tuesday with the guys from DontWasteYourHate.com. They run the Don't Waste Your Hate podcast that is also a member of the Libertarian Union. It's Invalid Beard and Tony Rockamora, and they do some really great work over there. They put us to shame, and hopefully they can lift our boats when they join us for that conversation where we're going to talk about this episode, this movie, and anything else that comes up. Uh, these boys are from New Jersey, and it should be a lot of fun. We really enjoy working with these guys. We sure do. Yeah, those are some good guys. If, if you're not subscribing to Don't Waste Your Hate, they have some really interesting conversations over there. It's more of like a free-form discussion kind of a show, and they get, go down some interesting rabbit trails. Yeah, and I think they just had um, Anthony Samaroff of the Scottish Liberty Podcast on, and so that should be really good. And then they're also going to be joining us for the State of the Libertarian Union talk show, which will be on the last Sunday of the month, which I think, what's that, the 30th? So 
a lot of good stuff coming up with them, us collaborating with them. And uh, I don't know, what else is going on, Robert? I think we should uh, probably wind this one down, maybe do a little bit of Kathleen Turner Overdrive, which is something that is available for our Patreon supporters. Also, a bunch of pre-show is available. Uh, so you can find that at patreon.com slash readrothbard and uh, give us a little bit of donation money. Um, also, our Last Nighters YouTube channel, if you could give us a subscribe over there, I think we're at 65 or 66 now. If we get up to 100, we get the custom URL. So if you are a listener of this show and you want to support us uh, non-monetarily, uh, you know, just click on over to YouTube and uh, hit that sub- subscribe button. That'll, that'll be a big benefit for us. Yeah, thanks any way you can, supporting us and uh, subscribing. Thanks much. And telling friends and leaving a review, all that stuff. And interact with us on the comments. It'd be great. Thanks a lot. All right. Well, thank you guys for joining us for this episode of the Actual Anarchy Podcast. This is episode 73. You can find the show notes more at actualanarchy.com slash 73. So thank you for listening. I wish you good night. And we're going to get into some Kathleen Turner Overdrive. Uh, but peace out, everyone. Chipmunks. C H I P M U N K. We're the chipmunks. Guaranteed to brighten your day. Do 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 do